and welcome to Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by and for millennial and Gen X types from a left-wing perspective. It is Sunday, December 22nd, 2019. Uh, we didn't do a show on Saturday because we had a bunch of other stuff going on. So we're doing a show on Saturday. Sunday. Um, Sunday. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Trigger warning. It's Christmas time. <clears throat> yes. Uh, I guess we're supposed to be very triggered by that because we don't mind if we're inclusive of the holidays and that angers Fox News watching people for some mm-hmm. reason mm-hmm. Um, to acknowledge that there may be Jews and Muslims and people that don't celebrate. I, I don't, I've never really understood that, but it's become a thing that was never really a thing. I guess it was a thing in the 80s. It's been and, a thing since I've been alive. Well, it, it was sort of a thing in the 80s and 90s. You had some like, some people, uh, particularly uh, when it comes to Hanukkah, saying that you know you should mention Hanukkah, or there's no, there should also be Hanukkah displays in the town square, or whatever. This is going back many years, and that's sort of how the Happy Holidays thing came to be. And now it's sort of like a thing that's like a generational thing. Like us, they think millennials don't like Christmas, which I don't know. It's just so <laughs> stupid. I can't even try to follow it. I remember when I was a kid, they changed the Christmas play to the holiday play. Mm-hmm. Um, and it upset a lot of the parents because mm. why can't we just have Christmas and why does everything have to be so politically correct? And, mm-hmm. you know, where I was in Whitesville, White's place, Whitesy Whites, um, I didn't grow up around a lot of Jews or a lot of people of color right. um, at this particular school. And um, yet there are still people in the world that celebrate a wide variety of holidays this time of year. Yeah. And, and this is one of those things with these Christians, like nobody is stopping you from going to church. Nobody nope. is stopping you from putting up your tree. Nobody celebrating is, Christmas. And like, if someone says happy holidays to you, why can't you just interpret that as Merry Christmas? <laughs> yeah. Maybe they aren't assuming that you're a Christian, which heaven forbid someone assume that you're not a thing that you are, but and growing like, up, I would hear everything. I'd hear Merry Christmas. I would hear Happy Holidays, and it didn't really matter. It's the same shit. Right. Like, and then there was the whole Starbucks controversy. They yes. didn't put Christmas cups. It was instead holiday cups. And <laughs> then the people were going to boycott Starbucks, which is like, okay. <laughs> I still don't think Starbucks cares. And a couple of years ago, Obama put the, the dog on the holiday card, and that, that upset everybody. I sent out a Christmas card one year that was just Blixa... Um, laying on his back with his legs spread D's nuts style. Well, Fox News would my, have been very upset. That was my Christmas card. You. My mom didn't love it. <laughs> She's like, why can't I see your face? Because <laughs> you're seeing the cats. But I love and my the cats. cats' junk. Yeah, I love That's my what cats. you get. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, it's almost Christmas, and we have a little baby tiny tree mm-hmm. in the corner of our apartment. Mm-hmm. And, um, we yeah. watch Die Hard. We watch Die Hard, so like we're real bad millennials, I guess. I guess I love Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, another treat for you guys. So last year we decided, sort of on a whim, to do a a running movie commentary of Die Hard, mm-hmm. and you could still find that. Just look on our Podbean site and 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 look up Die Hard, and you'll find it. And we're going to do another one, uh, probably later tonight or tomorrow, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to do a different movie. Mm-hmm. We'll reveal it at the time. Yes. Another Christmas movie. Yes. And so... One you, of my faves. You get to do that. I just bring that up because the Die Hard movie commentary 
podcast so was our weird. highest uh, downloaded podcast of all time. So weird. Uh, I'm wondering if some of that is people that don't normally listen to the podcast and yeah. just found it online. Yeah, just like, Googled like Die Hard Podcast or something. Yeah, Die Hard Commentary and, and, they, then and they found they that. They found us, which is weird. <laughs> it's so weird that that's the most listened to one of all. It must be that. But. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, people out there looking for pop culture, not uh, not political not talk all, by yeah. a bunch of left-wing millennial assholes. So yeah. that's what we got. All right, what's going on in the world? Well, I want to talk about Harry Potter. Oh, dear. So I understand that you are not a Harry Potter person. Not at all. I, I, I know a lot of it from osmosis just because right. of all the people in my life who love it. That was what I was going to say is this, this your interest or um, having never watched it or seen it or read it is irrelevant to the conversation because sure. I think Harry Potter is a part of the culture. Absolutely. Yeah. Whether, you know, whether I like it or not, it, it is. It is. Yeah. It's like it's people a cultural who, milestone. It's, it's like just, people who hate Star Wars and be like, well, who cares about Star Wars? I've never like, even seen a Star War. Great. Good for good. you. Okay. But, but that doesn't still, mean it's not part of the culture. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It just is whether you it like it or not. It just is. And, and Harry Potter certainly is. And certainly for... My generation, um, and the one just below mine, my little brother, grew up in the Harry Potter age, read all the books. Mm -hmm. I didn't read any of the books. I watched the movies. I enjoyed them greatly. Um, And J.K. Rowling, who wrote the books, um, famously was like a waitress, and she had no money, and now she's a billionaire, and kind of made some waves um, back in the day when she joined Twitter for, you know, sort of calling people out, and, and sort of people thought, she's so great and wonderful and then she made some more waves when she started coming on uh, this person's get Dumbledore's gay and this person's this person gay, might be gay and this person's and... gay and of course she didn't write any of that into her books <laughs> no. right it used to really it really upset me because she would she wrote these books and then to sort of want to take credit and like troll the trolls or, came out later or and or it was almost like a cheap publicity stunt yeah Dumbledore's gay and you're like, well, why didn't you write him as gay then? Because he wasn't. Why didn't you write him as fucking gay then? Because he wasn't. And he wasn't. I just it sold never a occurred more to books. her. Never occurred to her that that she should write a gay character. It never right. occurred to her that she should write people of color into the story. It never occurred to her that she should write non-binary people into the story. So she mm-hmm. just sort of later came back and said, "Well, I'm the author of the canon, so I'm going to tell you Dumbledore's gay." And you're like, "Well, <laughs> that's fine, but like, I wish that you had written him as a gay character then." Right. Then I would be like super happy, but that's not how she. That did. would be like George Lucas coming back, like you know, Luke Skywalker's trans. Right. Like, and you're like, no, that's not <laughs> actually true. That's there's no evidence of that in what you wrote. Thanks, I guess, but no, like there's no arc there. There's no arc right. suggesting that that's true. It, right? Exactly. And I'm glad you brought that up. Arc, like. The, it would be really interesting for Dumbledore. Like, again, I haven't read the books, but I know enough about them that, like, there's no coming out scene in any of the no. books or the movies. There's no history. There's no, like, flashbacks of him with his boyfriend. There's no there's no arc. There's no character arc suggesting that he was gay. Right. And, like, you can't just be like, well, he is. And you're like, <laughs> okay, well, fuck you. Like, the gay people have an entire... Uh, a story arc about their lives around their sexuality. That would be that, like, like that would be like Ellen never did the coming out episode, mm-hmm. but like after it went off the air, she was like, "Oh well, my character was gay." My all character along. was gay, by the way, all along. She all was along. Gay. You're like, well, what? <laughs> no, what? It's not how being gay works. I'm sorry, but it's just not how it works. Right. So anyway, um, she's been trash for a while, but and and there's been some rumblings for quite some time about how she's a turf. And I'm going to explain what that word means because I recently found mm-hmm. out a lot of people don't know. 
Um, yeah, which so was interesting turf, to me too. Yeah, I mean, as we know it, because we're in our own little bubble of right. Turf means trans exclusion exclusionary radical feminist, which sounds like a contradiction. I, yeah, an impossible thing. So you're not horribly radical if you're holding up the status quo of transphobia, right? So turfs started back in the late '80s, early '90s. I think before that. <clears throat> well, I, I don't. I know. I mean, they didn't have a name for it, but. I mean, that was first wave feminists going all the way back to the 60s. Well, I don't know that trans people were really out and, and an issue that people had a thing to talk about not, until the 80s in, or 90s. True, not in the mainstream, but they were there were trans women all over. I mean, right. look at Stonewall. Certainly. And we can talk about that history for sure, which is complicated. Um, but TERFs became a thing that we started identifying and that really became like a loud voice in the feminist and LGBT community in the eighties and late eighties and early nineties. Mm-hmm. And it started with uh, lesbians basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. who, when trans women started becoming out trans women, um, and, and it, this has to do with trans men as well. Um, mm-hmm. That they argued that these were men that were trying to invade women only spaces. Right. And so think of things like um, the Lilith Fair and um, sort of like lesbian events, mm-hmm. um, which are a thing, <laughs> right? Yeah. And they wanted to exclude anyone who was not biologically female because they argued, and, and people who, trans men to some extent too, who had transitioned from female to male. Um, so the argument goes... For trans women, these are men that are trying to invade a female space. This sounds a lot like conservative Christians, right? It's basically the same shit. It is. You're born what you're born, and I don't want to hear about this other thing. And you're, you're just biology you're just, is real, and you can't deny sex. And these and, are just men in and you must be a, a, a pervert and, trying to uh-huh. go into spaces you're not supposed to be. And what's going to stop? This is supposed from to be this? a safe space for women, and if right. we have men involved, even though right. they're not men, right? Right. And then for trans men, it was well, you are. Basically, a traitor mm-hmm. to your sex, and you um, have given up uh, being a woman, and you're taking on male privilege, and you are a traitor. Yeah. And so, this has been a fight within the feminist community for quite some time. And there's been some rumblings that J.K. Rowling may be a turf, and I didn't know what to think of it at first, but um, then I was, she was like liking some tweets from some turfs, mm-hmm. and and then she just came full out. Uh, well, she came week. up because of a particular incident. Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> yeah. This woman, Maya, something, who cares, mm-hmm. is an awful transphobe um, who uh, committed employment discrimination um, against a trans worker right. that worked for her. Mm-hmm. And she went to court, and the court found that um, being transphobic is not a protected class. <laughs> no. Um, that, you're, that your opinion... And this was in Britain, right? I want to I, say I don't actually know. I think it I was think, in in Britain. But. I think that I that's we should probably find out. But yeah. um, that being transphobic is not a protected class. So your opinion about whether or not someone is transgender or not, or whether that's valid or not, is not a protected class like your race or your sexual identity or your gender or your national origin, etc. Right. And J.K. Rowling came out with this disgusting tweet that I'm not going to repeat um, about how. Basically, do what you want, but we don't have to, like, agree with you, and we can discriminate against you. 
um, including language with like sleep with whoever will have you and shit like that. Like she's just a garbage, garbage trash person. Um, anyway, it set the internet on fire. Um, a lot of people had not been paying attention and sort of thought that she was this great, like ally and, um, right. Because of Dumbledore, because yeah, that they, caught she fire came out and said, said Dumbledore that. was gay. <laughs> Even though well, she's not, not in the books, but she said it. So she must be so she's an ally. Um, so she just like came out as a turf and, uh, I stand with Maya, the woman and, um, well, who else, who's going to sort of rush to her defense except other turfs? Because turfs, they, they love it. They because, love it. They are the, so excited. Because the Christians gave up on her, you know, cast her out. Totally, right? Decades ago. Yeah, no, like, I mean, this is devil's work. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, and and it's interesting, the sort of bedfellows that turfs and conservatives make because they have the exact same arguments. Yeah. I mean, you could literally take the words out of, like, you know, Billy Graham's mouth and put them into the mouth of a turf and they would sound exactly the same. But they, maybe not Billy Graham's grandkids. We'll get to that. Right? Um, anyway, so I was... Obviously, she's trash, but... Um, are there that many turfs? I, I get yes. a feeling it's one of these groups that they're a minority, but they're very loud. So they, they see... It seems like there's so much more of them. They're... Yes. Because nobody, no, it's a generational thing too. It is a generational thing as well. Very few of any LGBTQ uh, people in our circles, and there's a ton of them we know, are TERFs. No, no, no. This is very generational. It's very sort of second wave feminists who also believe that like all heterosexual sex is rape and like um, porn is rape and Mm -hmm. and bad. And like it's a very generational version of feminism. Which is why we call it, there's waves of it, right? The first wave was um, the suffragettes and the right to vote. The second mm-hmm. wave was like equal pay and like. Equal we rights don't, amendment, which may get passed here. ERA, soon. but like we don't Seems really like want to talk deal. about black women because that, and we don't want to talk about gay people because right. that sort of like right. clouds the issue right. for white women. Right. No, and they, then, they, they have no intersectionality whatsoever. Right. And then intersectional feminism is what's some, sometimes called like the third wave, and that starts with like. Bell Hooks and Kimberly Crenshaw and the idea of intersectionality and how mm. that goes. And that's that's squarely the camp that I land in. Right. Um, Clearly. So <laughs> I'm going to read this and it's not going to make any sense to you and that's okay. But everybody else <laughs> likes Harry Potter, so just hear me out. It might make a little sense to me. Um, this is a Reddit thing, which I don't really understand Reddit because I'm actually kind of old. Well, Reddit is just a message board. It's the public says, here's a thing. Here's the study. Here's the story. Here's, right. You know. So this is a post from someone anonymous on Reddit. And there's a picture of um, the guy who plays Harry Potter, um, Daniel. Craig. Craig. No. What's his <laughs> name? This guy. Anyway, the guy who plays Harry Potter and he looks really like, We're going to get to Daniel Craig in a minute because we have a movie review. Um, fucked up. But anyway, it says, hey guys, want to buy some magic? And here's the post. It very neatly describes the way liberals see the world and political struggle. Lots of people complain about the anticlimactic ending to Harry Potter, but really, I don't think it could go any other way. I'd like to imagine that there's some alternate universe where Rowling actually believed in something and Harry was actually built up as the anti-Voldemort he was hinted as being in the beginning of the books where he opposes all of the many injustices of the wizarding world and determines to change their frequently backward, insular, and contradictory society for the better, and forms his own faction antithetical to the Death Eaters. And when he finally has a showdown with Valdi, Harry surpasses 
by adopting new methods, breaking the rules, and embracing change and the progression of history. When Voldemort clings to an idyllic imaging of the past, and the greatest extent of his dreams is to become the self-appointed god of an eternally stagnant Neverland, Harry has embraced the possibility of a shining future and so can overcome the self-imposed limits Voldemort could never cross, and Voldemort is ultimately defeated by this. But that would require a Harry that believed in something. And since Rowling is a liberal centrist Blairite that certainly doesn't believe in anything, Harry can't believe in anything. Harry lives in a world drought with conflict and injustice, a stratified class society, Mm-hmm. Sorry. Slavery of sentient magical creatures, the absurd charade the wizarding world puts up front to enforce their own self-segregation, uh, corrupted bureaucracy, choked government, rampant racism, and so forth. But Harry is little more than a passive observer for most of it. Only the racism really bothers him, and then really only racism against half-bloods. In fact, <clears throat> when Hermione stands up against the slavery of the elves, she's treated as some sort of ridiculous soapbox sandy. Sadie, sorry, for opposing chattel slavery. In the end, the biggest force for change is Voldemort, and Harry and friends only ever fight for the preservation and reproduction of the status quo. The very height of Harry's dreams is to join the Aurora, a sort of uh, wizard FBI, and ultimate defenders of the wizarding status quo. Voldemort and the Death Eaters are the biggest instigators of change, and Harry never quite gets to Valdi's level. Harry doesn't even beat Voldemort. Voldemort accidentally kills himself because he violated some obscure technicality that causes one of his spells to bounce back at him. And this is really the struggle of liberals. They live in a world fraught with conflict but aren't particularly bothered by any of it, except those bits that threaten multicultural pluralism. Mm. They see change, and the force behind that change, as a wholly negative phenomenon. Even then, they only act within the legal and ideological framework of their society. So, for instance, instead of organizing inner insurrectionary and disruptive activity against Trump and the far right, all they can do is bang their drums about what a racist bigot he is and hope that they can catch him violating some technicality that will allow them to have him impeached or at least destroy his political clout. It won't work, it never will, but that's the limit of liberalism, just as it was the limit of Harry Potter. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. What do you think, first as far as... The Harry, I mean, I don't know. This guy could be, this person could be talking more about the books than the movies. So, how accurate do you think that is a depiction of the Harry Potter universe? I think that's exactly right. I think it's exactly right. Okay. I think, um, in my view, Harry Potter has never been um, the protagonist of the Harry Potter books. (laughs) Um, Hermione Granger has always been the protagonist of those books. Mm hmm. Without her, he would be dead six or seven times over. Sure. Um, she's sort of a radical and uh, a half muggle. And um, he's kind of just like been put in this situation and doesn't really know what to do about it, but very much believes in like, and they're, they're very right about like the sort of structure and rigor of the wizarding world and the hierarchy mm-hmm. of it. And um, it, it, I think it's, per, it's a perfect analogy for sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, what do you think he, uh, this this poster, what about his comments on, quote, liberalism as a whole? Yeah, no, I think that's right. Uh, <clears throat> I haven't I haven't self-identified as a liberal in a really long time. Um, a leftist, certainly, but liberal, mm-hmm. no. Um, but it's a fair critique, right? It is. It is. And it's something that we struggled with in 2016 that I've, I've, I think 
turned around a little bit in my own life, which is that um, while, like, I'm a harm reductionist, right? So I don't think that purity tests are good. I don't think that we should not vote because you don't, right? That kind of thing. And I also don't think that um, just making small changes to things um, are enough. Incrementalism? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, I've it come depends. around. It depends. I, I mean... Certain things, I think incrementalism makes sense. Right. I. It's complicated. It's, it's not, complicated. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. There, there are times to work within the system, and there are times to burn the system down. Right. I mean, the ultimate goal is to burn the system down, mm-hmm. and in the meantime, sometimes we have to do things incrementally to... Do the greatest harm. harm reduction that we can, right? Yeah, absolutely. That, there's, that's, that's not that that's, hard to sort of figure, at least not to me. Right. But, like, my ultimate goal doesn't change. It just right. means that I also have to make compromises because I actually care about people. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to make sure that the least number of people are harmed in the least amount. Sure. So if that means that I can't have my <laughs> insurrection and revolution... Um, today. Today. But I can like save some gay kids. I'm gonna do that. Sure, of course. Um, so keep get some kids out of cages. Yeah. Keep the Supreme Court from outlawing abortion. Right. Like, these are real important things, yes. and we can't just throw up our hands up and say, "Well, it's not the revolution, so I'm just gonna sit out." Right. And wait. Right. Because doesn't that, mean that it just doesn't mean that like just voting is okay either. Because the flip side of that is a lot of the people we always bitch about that said, "Well, I didn't get my candidate in my way, and this is too incremental." What do they do? They just sit out. They don't, they don't generally, they don't put on the black hoods and go to the streets. Are you putting on a balaclava and a fucking Molotov cocktail and going out and creating an insurrection? No, No. you're just sitting at home, bitching on the internet and yelling at women who don't like Bernie Sanders and that's it. Yeah. And not voting. Now, voting is not enough, certainly, Mm -hmm. but at the very least do that. And I don't think like marching with pussy hats is enough either. That's not revolution. Uh, <laughs> but it was No, it, it's it not. It served its purpose at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> I think we're too hard on the women's march these days. But anyway. Well, we were part of it. Yes. I mean, what are we going to say? No, I, I it was very powerful and very necessary yeah, and very it, it like was really healing a, in that moment. Important for us to make that statement. And it so was. Like, and it, we were in... We're here and we're not going to roll over. And, fresh fucking trauma yeah. and like needed some community and needed to be in a crowd of 500,000 people that all agreed with us. It was mm-hmm. important in that moment. Sure. That's just... We're past that now. Three years in. Yeah. <laughs> There's more now. But anyway, um, so J.K. Rowling is garbage. I would like to um, recommend if you love fantasy novels... Um, the author N.K. Jemison. She's a tremendously talented, incredible um, fantasy writer. Um, I can't speak highly enough about her. She won several Hugo Awards. She's one of the first black women to win the Hugo Award, and she won it like three years in a row. And I have read one of her series, and it is fucking incredible um and i can't recommend her enough also follow her on twitter at nk jemison she's also w Kamal bell's cousin which is like how much talent do you have in one family yeah. um but really she's incredible and her writing makes very clear um who's gay and who's black and who's 
queer and who's Polly and like there is no oh by the way Dumbledore was gay right like they she makes very clear the intersectionality of her characters and I really appreciate it and it's also really well done and sort of scientifically done and like it's just incredible so if you like fantasy I highly recommend N.K. Jemisin and there are a number of other there's lots of lists and stuff if you just look up like queer or black or like you know minority fantasy writers like, mm-hmm. there's lots so you don't have to just count on Harry Potter and lots of them have YA <coughs> novels too I would consider some of her work uh, young adult appropriate so if that's your thing I recommend her highly okay and fuck JK Rowling and fuck turfs have no space room no none of it I got mm. nothing for them I'm with you <coughs> never read a Harry Potter book and never sat through an entire Harry Potter movie. So. <laughs> I watched all of them, but I did host a Harry Potter quiz once, uh, yeah. ironically. Yeah. Emmett read all the books and he loved them. And I mean, he was, you know, nine, 10, 11 at the time. And like, it was right as wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, but you know, be careful who your heroes are, you know, yeah. take people for what they say. Okay. Somebody tells you who they are. Listen to them. Right. I believe them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, do you want to back up and do our movie review we forgot to do last week? Sure. Sir, <laughs> um, so I was going to tie that in with talking about Star Wars, saying that, oh, mm. our, our review is not going to be about Star Wars. We're not no. seeing that till Tuesday. Yes. We're going to go uh, on Christmas Eve. But speaking of Star Wars, the guy who directed the last Star Wars movie, Ryan Johnson, did a new sort of campy-ish mystery movie yeah. uh, called Knives Out. Yeah. And we went to see it. It's It's one of these sort of like, rich family and the and the the patriarch grandpa died and who did it and uh went to see it and it was okay yeah it was fine it was fine it's not okay it was fine it's definitely more in ryan johnson's wheelhouse than star wars yeah which he didn't I mean, know what he was doing it was a well-made movie sure it had great acting it had a cohesive storyline it had interesting character development um it was a well-told story uh, I'll give you some spoilers right now. So if you haven't seen Knives Out and you still want to and you're worried about spoilers, skip ahead about five minutes. Yeah. Um, or like two, probably. <laughs> my, I had two problems with the movie. Um, the first one was it wasn't really a whodunit because they, after about a half hour or 45 minutes <laughs> right. of building the mystery, they're like, okay, well, this is what happened. And then the plot is, will the protagonist get away with it? Basically right. is the plot of the movie. Right. Because you like, so you know exactly who did it, but you just want to figure out how. how they can get away with it because they didn't really mean to do it. Right? Which, is, which is an okay story in itself, yeah. but it's it's sort of it's that old Ryan Johnson like I'm gonna subvert you're you're gonna think it's this, but it's actually this other thing. It's obnoxious, <laughs> but I, I I knew he was gonna do something like that, and he did. Um, but it was fine. The movie was still good. Uh, the really dumb part is the method of. Death or what they thought was going to be death didn't make any sense at all and and wouldn't have made any sense to the characters in the situation. Yeah. She's a nurse, right? She's She's his, this old man's nurse. And he has this like terrible fucking family, super rich guy, really shitty kids who are super entitled and they're all fucking with him in one way or another about his money. So he decides to cut them all out of his will. And give everything to this nurse, who's like his best friend, essentially. Uh, Yeah. I don't know if we need to get into all that. But anyway, she is led to believe that she overdosed him horribly with morphine. But in this universe, <laughs> in, injecting, so, overdosing on morphine via injection has a 15-minute delay. 10 minutes. 10-minute delay. Yes. So she says, any effects of you'll the be fine, but in 10 minutes you'll be dead. <laughs> and he's in too rural an area to call an ambulance. 
right? Yeah, yeah. And, and and that overdose of morphine right away doesn't even make him high. No. Now, it turns out it he wasn't. He has all it of his really, mental capacities. He's yeah. perfectly fine. But then in 10 minutes, he's going to drop dead. Right. It, now which is just not how morphine works. Well, sure. But it turns out, like, okay, it wasn't really morphine. But then she would know within 10 seconds, like... Okay, you're not dead, and you're not even acting Where fucked up. Where did they even get this notion of ten minutes? That's no, not how fucking works. They just pulled it out of their ass to fit the plot. That's not how opiates work. Look, when you overdose on opiates, it's immediate. Immediate. <laughs> you that's put why, too much in your system, and you die. That's your why heart people. Stops. That's why people use heroin intravenously because the high is instantaneous. It's immediate. There's no waiting for anything to kick in. So that was really dumb. Look, I've had morphine injected into my body yeah, it's, before. It's, it's immediate. First of all, it it's burns really... like a motherfucker. And I, I second of all, it makes it does feel weird. No, it does. But then it's so instantaneous. This is what the I've had it. The doctor too, yeah. told me because um, they also injected me with Zofran, which is an anti-nausea medication because yeah. it will make you fucking puke because it's an opiate and it's very powerful. Um He's like, okay, this is going to burn really bad, but I want you to count back from 10. And I was like, ow, 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 10, 9. Oh, it doesn't hurt. Because the morphine had kicked in and the burning stopped. Um, it's immediate. Its effects are immediate. That's fine. I mean, I've had morphine injections a few times and it didn't burn for me. It just Maybe kinda... it was the Zofran that burns then? Yeah, it's probably the Zofran. Maybe. It, it just made me sort of feel like, ugh. Oh, I didn't like it. I don't like it at <laughs> I all. I mean, it killed the pain. Yes. I, I was having a bad kidney stone pain. Yeah. And it certainly killed the pain, but I did not enjoy. It makes me hallucinate. Uh, we're very lucky in the sense that, like, we we're not into taking opiates for no. fun. We we don't. We've had to for yep. pain. Yep. And we don't enjoy the way it makes you feel. So. No, it makes me feel like tired and loopy. I mean, there is some euphoria, which is nice, but like, it's. I don't like not, the overall. I mean, a little, I guess, but not enough that I'd be like, I want to do this recreation. No, God no. God, no. Yeah, but some no. people, it just lights up I, those I neurons. can understand why it would. I do. The, the euphoria can be nice. Mostly what I appreciate about it is the immediate blockage of pain. Mm -hmm. Like, it just stops it. It's effective, yeah. It's not like anything else where it's like, oh, I'm not noticing I'm in pain or that. It's, it's mm -hmm. an immediate, like, cessation of pain, which if you have pain, it, it, the chronic pain, it's nice yeah. sometimes. But anyway. Yeah, that's not how morphine works. <laughs> you don't <laughs> no, have 10 minutes to figure out what to do. Yeah. You're dead. Or, or, you have, or, or like, even to have the effects of it, right? Yeah. No, I mean, immediately, within yeah. seconds, either your heart stops or you are high. Yeah. Yeah. So that was dumb. Uh, but the movie was okay, is basically what I'm saying. And yeah. Ryan Johnson should stick to those kind of movies. <laughs> yeah. It was cute. I would like, if you if it comes out on Netflix or whatever, and you're bored. It's it's a fun if you if you like fun little movie. If you liked Clue from the early '90s, which I loved, Clue's way better than this. But well, yeah, but it was a lot of homage to to yes. that and that style. Yeah, I agreed. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, and Daniel Craig plays a Southern guy. Yeah, he does southern really well detective. with the accent. Yeah, he does. He does. He plays like a. Uh, Private detective, which is also hilarious because he's like bossing the police around. <laughs> also not how that works. Well, he had to for the story. <laughs> but he was like, who's the French detective? The Belgian guy, Poirot? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah. He's like a southern yeah. Poirot. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so there's that. And then we're going to go see Star Wars, which I, I've tried to tune out all the reviews and stuff. It's, it's a typical you know, modern star Wars review. Like everybody hates it. Everybody loves it. And mm -hmm. there's no middle ground. Yep. There's no real people saying, yeah, it was okay. Or it was kind of sucked or 
There were parts I liked, and this, no, it was some the great, it, it was the it. best Star Wars movie ever, or it was the an worst abomination. piece of shit ever made, right. and why should it even have been right. made? Right, yeah, because that's, that's that's what we what you get now. Yep, one or the other. <laughs> no way for it to be just okay. And I'm sure that's what we'll say. We'll yeah. probably be like, oh, it was fine. And speaking of that, um, we'll do a probably a review of Star Wars. But sure, of course. This, yeah. ad, this Adam Driver interview with Terry Gross, I want to talk about for a sec. Since he's in Star Wars, right? Uh, he's also in the news lately because he... I think this is what you're talking about. She yeah. asked him something he got mad about or, no, no. or got, got no, scared no. about? Or? No, no. This has been all twisted around, and it pisses me off as somebody who struggles with anxiety. Um, right. Adam Driver, if you've ever... And Terry Gross knew this. She's not a amateur at interviewing. Weren't we making fun or bitching about Terry Gross the other day? Yes. <laughs> we're talking about her interview with the well, so-called dominatrix. Well, you uh, know, we just want to kind of just strangle NPR in general yes. for the political coverage the last yes. four years. Yes. Yes. So Terry Gross is not some kind of amateur. She's done thousands of interviews of very famous people and she does her fucking homework and she knows what she's doing. Yeah. She interviewed Adam Driver for his movie um, with Scarlett Johansson the about marriage. What's it called? Um, <laughs> I could tell I, you in the, a million uh, years. Marriage Story. Okay. I watched half of it. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, I found it to be unwatchable. Um, it was just sort of traumatic and like gross and just like, I, I just, I was like, I don't understand what the point of this movie is and I didn't think the acting was very good. Really? Even from Adam Driver? Yeah. he's usually very good. He is very good. Because um, we just saw him in that... Uh, the Report. The Report, which we talked he about. He was excellent. Yeah. Um, I love him. Anyway, it's very widely known if you've ever done any amount of research about somebody you're about to interview. He is very open about the fact that he does not watch his performances. It creates panic. Um, he hates it. It makes him hate himself. He thinks he's bad. He just he just doesn't watch his own work. Which is interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Like, But think about that for a second. Like, The guy has never watched the Star Wars movies he no. was in. He's never watched no. an episode of Girls. No. He's not going to watch no. The Report. No, no. He won't because he's a perfectionist and he is very open about this in interviews. He's like, when I watch it, all I think about all is the flaws, all the, what I did yeah. wrong and I can't go back and fix it now. And it gives me an incredible amount of anxiety to watch it because I all I see is what I did wrong and I can't fix it. I can't go back because it's already out there and everybody else gets to see it and I can't fucking watch it. I can't do it. It's just a thing. But by that token, like, how does he improve on anything if he can't see what he th- thinks he got wrong or it's what he's not for you or I to worry about. No, I'm just curious. I don't know. That's I would a good like, question. Like, I, that's a question to ask. That's if I was Terry Gross, I would have asked that question. Instead, she plays she proceeded clips. to play clips of his thing and he walked out. Yeah. Because he, he said, just I don't want to watch this. I yeah. don't want to watch this. Please don't do that. I don't want to watch this. And then she fucking played clips and he just stood up and walked out. I think he waited for the break. Well, it wasn't live. Yeah. So he just didn't complete the interview. And so the interview will never be aired because he didn't complete it because she kept playing clips and he was just like, please stop doing this. And then he walked out and everyone was like, oh, my God, what a baby. What a what a prima donna. He blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what would you have him do? (laughs) Well, I have I have a story from personal experience. If I if I decided if I was doing an interview and we were talking about what I'm afraid of and you put a spider on my head, (laughs) best bet I'd be fucking punching you in the face and walking out. We expect him to just sit there and have a panic attack because of our entertainment. Fuck that well I have, I have a story and and people of all stripes have all kinds of different anxieties and social anxieties and and phobias and, and quirks um 
a guy named Art Alizakis, who was the lead singer of Everclear. Oh, yeah. You remember that? I he do. had the whole solo yes. career, Father of Mine, yep. all that. Oh, yeah. Uh, my old band, we opened for him once. He was doing like a solo tour. Mm-hmm. And um, I I met him backstage. So, like, there's a staircase between the green room and the stage in this old club I used to play in, in South Florida a lot. And he was there, like, with his roadie or, or somebody. And me and the drummer of my band walk in and we're like, hey, man, what's up? And he kind of just looks at us, says, hi, and literally runs out the back door like a cat. And, like, we ask the roadie guy, like, what was that about? He's He's like... He's got horrible social anxiety. He's just like that with strangers, with people he doesn't know. And I was like, okay. Okay. Like, you wouldn't you wouldn't have expected that from a guy who's been famous and has mm-hmm. had platinum albums and mm-hmm. has toured the world. But, like, people have their quirks, man. It is Mental what it is. illness exists whether you're famous or not. Yeah. And when somebody tells you that something provokes panic in them, to then do that very thing is an act of cruelty. Yeah. Why would you do that? He doesn't want to watch it. He, you want him to have a panic attack and sit there, and then we're all criticizing him for being a big baby? Like, fuck that. Well, I'm more interested in how Terry Gross fucked that up, and it's like yes. she didn't believe it, or she didn't understand it, or, or she didn't, didn't care, or, like, wanted him to have a panic attack so that she could, like, get a good interview I about his panic. That's I mean, not her style. I can't. I, I just think she she didn't quite get what it meant. She could have played the clips, you know, put them in. She didn't do her research. In after show, yeah, right? I, th- I think she, she, what she thought was, oh, you he don't like. He just doesn't like, like it. Yeah. Let, that's no. interesting. Let's talk about it. Right. Like, no, he absolutely cannot do he it. He can't do it and he's not going to and he shouldn't be forced to on your goddamn show. It's offensive. Yeah. I was super pissed. And the, the way that the media reacted, the way that the general public reacted was like, you guys are fucking monsters. Well, I saw it on Twitter for about five minutes, and when something like that comes up, I generally tune it out for that very reason, because people are unreasonable idiots, and they just like to pile on, you know? Yeah, and it's like, just because he's famous doesn't mean he's not a human being. Right. So anyway, that's all I have to say about that. But was... Yeah, it's interesting, but, you know, like, it works for him. He's having a tremendous success in his career right now. He's, he's in, like, super talented. Every movie that comes out, he, he does extremely well in them. Pretty much every movie he's in is successful yes or show or whatever he's doing so you know what it's working for him leave the leave guy, the, guy alone. the fuck alone he's an yeah. artist just leave him alone he doesn't want to watch himself then don't fucking play clips of him that's yeah. so cruel he doesn't have to no. I mean it's consumption for us yeah it's like you know we're different we like to hear ourselves after we've recorded a podcast and I'm a musician and I pour over the stuff I've recorded you know, just to get an idea of how it plays and how it sounds and if it's what I want, but that's me. Right. You know? And then next time you maybe use that to make it better and every album is Right, and I'm not saying better, that's the way you need to do that. I mean, you. obviously Adam Driver's a hell of a lot more successful in his art than I am in mine, so who am I to say, hey, you're doing it wrong, Adam, or you're a, so you're a weirdo freak. Like The thing that really upset me was just, like, this idea that, like, he's this diva, Right, like oh, that's diva behavior. It's that diva doesn't make behavior. any sense. That's not what happened. A, a diva is going to show up to their premiere and and get all have the a spotlights. picture of themselves in so their favorite scene on yeah. their shirt or something. Like yeah. you just can't physically do it. It's right. not diva behavior. It's the opposite. It's I am having a panic attack right now right. and I'm leaving. Right. And so Terry Gross posted some sort of passive aggressive bullshit about like, well, you're not going to ever hear the Adam Driver interview because he left. He abandoned the interview, and you're like, no, you're a fucking cunt. 
is what happened. You sacrificed that interview by not doing your homework or being a cunt. We have, we've broken new ground. We have called Terry NPR's Gross Terry Gross a cunt. <laughs> we are going to... Sorry, Terry. Yeah, the uh, TERFs and the all the older ladies that like us uh, probably don't anymore. Sorry. I'm not sorry. It's a shitty thing to do. It was just shitty. All around the board. All right. Well, I know what I'm putting in the, the teaser for... <laughs> For this episode, <laughs> wherein Rachel calls Terry Gross a cunt. Uh, okay. I'm gonna get in trouble for that, right? Uh, well, if we want to ever this context, be I'm sorry, but I'm, NPR, not, I'm not sorry. She was that was a super cunty thing to do. Maybe mm-hmm. that's a better way to put it. Okay, it was a super cunty thing to do, whether she did it or she authorized it or whoever decided that was what they should well, do. Well, you know how these things usually go. Like it'll it'll run the. For a week or so, it'll be about how Adam Driver's the bad guy, whatever, and then like He's people, a diva, and then and then people will be reminded of um, the fact that like anxiety is a thing people deal right. with, and uh, that's a pretty good segue, I think, to the Democratic debate and Joe Biden. Okay. Although yeah. you know we all we have the break coming up soon, but uh, we can talk about the it rest for, like, of ten minutes. The rest I, guess. I have is way longer than five minutes, so. <laughs> Uh, there was a debate on, what was it, Thursday? Yeah. Um, we watched most of it. Uh, most of it was insufferable. Yeah. Um, and debates are pretty pointless. <laughs> and the, the people part. on the stage is what I want to talk about. Okay, yeah. You you start with that, and then I'll, I'll talk about the Joe Biden stuttering thing. Look, I don't, I, I you guys didn't watch it. Um, it was really, really painful, because the people who made the stage... Don't need to be there. How about half of them? I'd like say? Tom Steyer Ugh. got airtime and Julian Castro and Cory Booker weren't on the stage. <laughs> so I'm watching a bunch of entirely white people, by the way. Yep. No people of color on the stage. Argue. Quit fucking with that. I can hear it. No. Um, argue with each other <coughs> and... I'm, I gotta be honest with you. I missed Kamala Harris, even though she's a cop. Um, I had no room for most of them. Like, I just don't care about Amy Klobuchar. I don't care about Tom Steyer. I, I don't care. I don't want to hear from them. I want to hear from people who weren't there. Mm-hmm. And it was to the point where it was like I, I felt like I was watching the like B level debate because <laughs> the people that were there were like who cares i can, don't care can i talk about the the buddha judge versus warren versus klobuchar mm. thing about the wine caves and the you have the billionaire donors no you're the you have all the money no you no you like it, it's back to this fake purity thing about mm-hmm. like we have to like you know drive in 87 Dotson and show up in rags you know mm-hmm. moccasins mm-hmm. tied to our feet and mm-hmm. and like not have any money and not talk to people who have money. And it's like, this is so pointless for several reasons. For uh, One of them, I don't, I don't remember if it was Warren or Klobuchar, even said, like, I don't do call time. And Warren does call time, but not traditional way, right? She calls the $20 donors, makes videos, and then gets a whole bunch more money from it. Uh, well, or maybe she does, she hasn't needed to do call time as a presidential candidate, but you bet your ass as a senator she has. And she, <laughs> and yes. she certainly did call time as a state representative in Massachusetts. So don't, don't tell me you don't do call time. Of course you do call time. They, look, running big campaigns, are ex- even small campaigns, are expensive. 
and you need money. And who has money? Rich people. Yep. Like if you could, if you could get all the money you needed from the people who you have the, the tear jerking stories about, like I have four kids and I lost my insurance. And then you tell that story. If they could afford to give you the money for your campaign, they would, but they don't. So in order to help the desperate people in need the rich people have to donate to your campaign this isn't hard to understand it's also not a purity test there's also donation limits so if you're meeting in a room with billionaires you know they can still only donate $2,800 yeah X amount of money now, now that's also false because of course PACs and super PACs uh, exist okay I was gonna get to that, that that's a whole <laughs> different thing and that's Citizens United and, and a whole different can of worms but in terms of just like meeting with donors donors can only donate so much. What is happening outside of our apartment right now? Oh, F-16s flying over. Apparently we have military planes flying over our apartment. It, it, it happens. It, we got a bunch of military bases. Colorado Springs, yeah. Out east. No, even yeah, Aurora. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, so I understand and I appreciate that Elizabeth Warren is not taking money from PACs and super PACs, that she is not taking money from billionaires, um, that she's going to promise an ambassadorship to. Got it. Great. Yeah, but none of cool. the, none of us are going. None so, of our candidates are going to do that. So because we don't. No, we definitely do. We definitely take money from billionaires and then give them ambassadorships. We definitely do that. Not anymore. We definitely do. <laughs> it just is part of how Washington politics works. Ambassadorships are given to donors. Yeah, I mean, but, uh, and uh, it just okay. is. I mean, it just is the way it is, and it sucks, and it's super shitty and very shady, and it shouldn't be done that way. But it's that's just how it works, and I understand and appreciate. Warren and Sanders saying, I don't want to do it that way anymore. Okay. I also understand Buttigieg, and I'm not defending fucking Mayor Pete, because I think he should go the fuck away, and I don't want him, and I can get into a whole thing about that in a oh, minute. Oh, but, but do, do we don't care that he's in a wine cave with rich people getting donations. No, I but I... Less. Right, exactly. So, like, but to his point, and I'm not defending him, and I'm not endorsing him, I'm just saying to his point, he's not wrong. It's the same argument that you used to make about Republicans play dirty and then Democrats play by the rules so that yeah. they think they're going to get some kind of like cookie for it. Right. And then Republicans uh, beat us. In the, yeah. But this is primary politics. Hold on. Hear me out. OK. Right. So it's the same argument that like, yes, we can be principled and lose or we can play by the same rules that they're playing by and win. And Buttigieg's point was, look, I agree with you that we should get money out of politics. However, mm-hmm. we aren't there yet. And the Republicans are going to get so much money from billionaires that like we're putting we're tying our hands behind our backs if yeah. we're not also accepting money from billionaires to win this fight. Yeah, and I Ar- don't Armando disagree makes, with him. makes that argument all the time. Like yeah. I get it and we should work toward that and when somebody becomes president as a Democrat, we should do whatever we can to overturn Citizens United and make sure that that this is not the situation. But while it is the situation, I don't blame him for getting the same money that they're... We have to fight on a, a level playing field. And you're tying your hands behind your back if you don't. And so I, I appreciate what they're doing, and I also think they're going to have to eat their fucking hat when they win, and they have to take money from millionaires, and it's going to look worse than just doing it from the beginning and saying, look, I'm playing by the rules that exist now and we can change the rules later but right now I'm playing by the rules that exist so that I can win well, I get that argument here's my problem I don't think that many voters care I know like they're arguing about something that nobody's gonna go to the polls and have in their mind well Buddha Judge met with rich people in a wine cave 
And I like Warren better because she said, you know, she doesn't call billionaires. She doesn't call billionaires, and it's I'm not, not exactly sure vote. what I that know. means. I like, know. and they spent so much time on it. Yeah, so much time that it was like, okay, this is not this is an issue for you people, and maybe like five percent of the Democratic Party. This is a real, real like nail in the coffin, but for 95% yeah, well, uh, of the Democratic Party, this is not what we're And we spent half the debate, and then Buttigieg yeah. came back with, well, you have more money than me. It's like, mm-hmm. well, yes, Elizabeth Warren has been a lawyer for 40 years. And you're 35. And you're 35, so Man. yeah, she's got a lot more money than you, so does Bernie. They've been around forever, and they've been successful, and you're going to make a little money. they're older than you. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> but like, yes, they have more money than you do, because mm-hmm. they're old, and they've been doing a lot of things for a long time, and, like... You're supposed to be a millionaire by the time you're your age, man? No. And they all got into the act. The only one who really kind of didn't try to play the poverty card um, was mm-hmm. Joe Biden, who mm-hmm. basically just said, like, look, if you, know, if you think the, the millionaires and billionaires love me, look at how bad they're trying to beat me. And, like, that's, you know, yeah. that's all you need to say. Yep. Um, and uh, last thing before the break. So at the end of the, it was very weird the way the debate ended in that, mm-hmm. um, oh my God. one of the moderators asked a really dumb question. Like since it's Christmas, say, say what you want, uh, penance for. No, or? Yeah. What you want to be forgiven for. Or what gift you would give to another candidate. And so everybody basically ignored that and did their closing statements. Well, first, can I just say what I loved about that? Yeah. Yang was first up and he was just like, stuck. he was just like, I, what? What? <laughs> and Elizabeth Warren goes, we could just do like the French in general strike this question. And like, it kind of went under the radar and I was like <laughs> howling in the kitchen. I was like, I fucking love her. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, she she called out the moderators for asking a stupid question. Yeah, it's a stupid fucking question. It's a waste of time. Yeah. And the only two women who asked for, the only two people who asked for forgiveness were the two women. Yeah. By the way. Anyway, so, go ahead with your Biden story. Biden was, and I kind of, I forgot this at the time, or I only half knew it. Biden has had a stutter for like his whole life that he's dealt with. And he was apparently some kids know about this, or so he says, and come up to him on the campaign trail and tell him like what an inspiration he is because they stutter and, and everybody makes fun of them. And and so what Joe Biden did, instead of telling that story... The way that you just told it. The him. way that I just told it, he did an impression of a kid with a stutter. Yes. And it was very awkward. Yes. Very it painful. It, yeah. It was just like, oh, that's oh weird. God. But because Republicans are awful, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders decided to basically tweet making fun of somebody with a stutter, like to mock him. And that's obviously not fucking cool and didn't go over well. And then like, so everybody sort of figured out and came to like, and talked about like, no, he's got a stutter. He's had a stutter his whole life. He's talking about kids that have stutters, but it was still really awkward and weird the way he. Yes. Told the story. Why don't you just say, you know, I used to have a stutter and kids come up to me and they stutter when they tell me how much I'm an inspiration to them. And it it inspires me to keep going. You don't need to impersonate a a kid with a stutter. Yeah. Impersonation of a kid with a stutter. And it was just weird. My mom had a stutter when she was a kid. Mm -hmm. She was put into this like sort of high pressure um, program, like a path in, (laughs) in, uh, elementary school and the pressure of it caused her to have a stutter when public speaking and 
it was really hard and really painful for her, and it was very difficult. And no, it isn't something to make fun of. Or, later or in joke life, about. no, it, it and later just, in yeah. life, like she went to Toastmasters and became a public speaker and like overcame that fear and all this stuff, and it's super cool. But like, it's not cool to like impersonate a kid with a stutter or to make fun of people that have a stutter. Right. So right. yeah, it was a- fucking crazy. Anyway, as far as the debate goes, I don't know who won, and I don't care. Uh, Yang said some shitty things. You know, we all I'm, lost I'm, because I'm the people that needed to be there weren't there. Yeah. And the people who nobody gives a fuck about got to have a lot of airtime. Yeah. I, I don't understand why Tom Steyer's there. And I guess Bloomberg will be in the next one to have even more like bullshit. <laughs> but Sorry, our cat's fucking with the tree. He's trying to. <laughs> and I'm just. We're going to take a, a quick break. We're going to come back. Rachel's got a bunch to talk about, and we'll talk a little bit about impeachment. So don't go anywhere. Be right back. I want to start off with something. Do we have shit that pissed Travis off during the break? <laughs> I don't know if it pissed me off as much <laughs> as it horrified me, but okay. it ties into a couple things that we uh, were talking about. One was NPR. This is an NPR story. Mm-hmm. And one was about how some people, when they try to achieve political change, uh, might not necessarily work uh, within the confines of the status quo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that can happen from the other side, too. Uh, can we talk about Bevan? Oh, no, not Bevan. Oh. But it's, uh, we can get to that. Uh, it's another crazy Republican. Yes. Uh, this guy's in Washington State. We've talked about him, I think, briefly before. Kegros talked about him. He's a state legislator in Washington, and he... Uh, Is Matt Shea? Yeah. Yeah, I sent you this earlier this week, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Washington legislator Matt Shea accused of domestic terrorism, report finds. Six no term, joke. Yeah, no joke. Six-term Washington State Rep. Matt Shea is accused of participating in an act of domestic terrorism against the United States, according to a report released Thursday. <coughs> I, I would like to know who it released this later. report. Independent investigators commissioned by the Washington State House of Representatives found that Shea, as a leader of the Patriot Movement, planned, engaged in, and promoted a total of three armed conflicts of political violence against the United States government between 2014 and 2016. Can we just pause for a second? Yeah. And just say that sentence again? Because this is actually happening. Yeah. Um, he <laughs> like, planned, engaged in, and promoted a total of three armed conflicts of political violence against the United States government between 2014 and 2016. A sitting state... House member. Imagine if this guy was black or Muslim. Mm-hmm. The report also concluded that Shea was involved in training young people to fight a, quote, holy war 
He created a pamphlet called Biblical Basis for War and advocated replacing the government with a theocracy and the killing of all males who do not agree. This literally is ISIS. Well, it's, it's literally just the, the Bible instead of like. Well, it's literally the Handmaid's Tale. But that is a holy war and a theocracy based on biblical law. Yeah. That is the American Jihad. That is ISIS. Chat messages showed Shay, a lawyer. <laughs> he's, he's got his, his bar. Uh, uh, his JD. Who first elected in 2008, condoned intimidation of opponents, political activists, government officials, and Muslims. He also hmm. offered to conduct background checks on political opponents. Following the release of the report, Shea was suspended from the House Republican Caucus, a serious form of discipline, I mean, I guess. He was also stripped of his position as ranking member of the House Environmental and Energy Committee. Which is a weird In Washington State, and will be removed from two committees. Isn't that nice? He should resign, Washington State House Minority Leader Representative J.T. Wilcox tweeted, if he's the House Minority Leader, then he's got to be a Republican who said that, at least. Uh, it's Washington State, so maybe not. We'll see. No, no, the, no. Remember, Washington State is one of those triad states where Democrats control everything. So if they've passed all this amazing mm. legislation. So if he's in the minority, he's got to be a Republican. He cannot use House Republican staff. He cannot meet with the caucus. His office will be moved. He he should. Why why hasn't the, why haven't the feds arrested him? He's planning armed insurrection against the government. There's very very clear laws against that. You'll find out in just a second. But he's a nice white guy with glasses who's got a Bible. And on what his are lap. his arms insurrections about? Yeah, that's where it comes down to. He's but, a Bundy guy. Yeah, is yeah. the thing. Well, right? there's there's more people in Washington State uh, that Republicans in Washington State who apparently were conspiring against the Feds with this Bundy shit. So we're yep. going to see where that goes. So there's this podcast called Bundyville that mm -hmm. I highly recommend everybody listen to. There's two seasons of it. The first one is entirely about the Bundy family and the standoffs that they have been engaged in. And the yeah. second one is about the sort of patriot movement that this guy's clearly involved in. Yeah, no, the, yeah, there's how, elected representatives that help them. Yes, and, and, and how that works and like how deep it goes. And Washington State is the, it is the central hub for it. By late Tuesday, Shea said he will not resign. Yep. Like we are seeing with our president, this is a sham investigation meant to silence those of us who stand up against attempts to disarm and destroy our great country, Shea said in a Facebook post. He's on Facebook. That's good. I will not back down. I will not give in. I will not resign. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, Shea maintains he was not given an opportunity to review or respond to the report. That's not true. Um, I mean... Nope. Whatever. Read, read the next sentence. <laughs> the report states he declined to be interviewed as part of the four-month investigation. Mm -hmm. The three armed conflicts. The Army veteran was a public supporter of Cliven Bundy, a Nevada rancher who led a 2014 standoff with FBI agents and dispute over grazing rights. According to investigators, Shea visited the Bundy Ranch in Bunkerville for a couple days. While there, he developed a strategy for leadership over future patriot movement armed resistance against the federal government by creating a coalition of western state leaders from Idaho, Washington, Arizona, and Nevada. Look at those states. No Colorado, huh? Mm-mm. You couldn't get Tom Tancredo on the, on the <laughs> team? The patriot movement is a far-right anti-government extremist group, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center. A core tenet is that government should not own public lands. About two months after the Bundy Ranch standoff, the report notes a meeting between Shea and leaders of the Oath Keepers militia at a restaurant mm. in Spokane. Mm. I wonder if our friend Harmon Leon tried to infiltrate that. <laughs> there was overheard discussing militias, weapons, stockpiling ammunition, the Bundy Ranch, special forces, and snipers. Mm -hmm. So... 
an elected representative who took an oath to defend the Constitution, granted, this is in Washington State, but you still take an oath to defend the Constitution, was organizing snipers to kill federal agents. Yep. And he's still he's still a free man Correct. and serving in yes. the Washington House. Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, previously <laughs> unknown is Shea's involvement in the 2015 armed conflict with U.S. Veterans Affairs Department in Priest River, Idaho. This when, is really interesting. When VA officials plan to remove weapons from the home of a veteran who was flagged by healthcare officials, Shea issued a call to action for Patriot Movement members. In a Facebook post, he urged them to arm themselves and drive to Priest River. That resulted in the use of armed militia members who blocked access to the veterans' home and prevented the lawful retrieval of guns by the Veterans Administration, the report said. In early 2016, Shea again teamed up with the Bundy family in an armed takeover of the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge in Oregon. Remember that was Please Send Snacks? The 41-day standoff between armed militia men and government officials resulted in devastating financial, physical, and emotional harm to a community and its residents and the loss of one life. At the time, Shea said he had gone on a fact-finding mission, mm-hmm. like Trump in Hawaii. Right. Next steps. State Rep. Lori Jenkins, a Democrat, said the House needed time to review and digest the full report prior to taking further action. She added, in its 130-year history, I'm unaware of House members ever having received such a comprehensive and disturbing investiga- investigatory report about another member. The gravity of the findings prompted the chief's clerk's office to forward the report to the U.S. Attorney's Office and the FBI. Yep. But... <laughs> The FBI. I, what do you think Barr is going to do with this? Is he going to say it's okay? It's pretty interesting, isn't it? I I would surprise me. I don't think Trump knows about this because he doesn't pay enough attention. But when he does, would you be surprised if he like publicly supported this guy? Right. We respect Repres- Representative Shea's right to free speech and his personal beliefs, but those ideals are not what this is about, she added. This is about a state lawmaker who, according to the investigative findings, engaged in an act of domestic terrorism rather than choosing political or legal avenues to change laws and policies he disagrees he with. He literally has the power to do that as a state representative, yes. right? Well, so, like, to, intru- to, to introduce legislation, sure. Right, but like, he is a lawmaker, mm-hmm. and he is choosing to commit acts of domestic terrorism rather than use the things that he got elected to do. Anyway. Well, here's, here's the important part. Shea could be removed from the state house entirely, but that would require a two-thirds majority votes, mm-hmm. vote of house members. And the nonprofit news site Crosscut reports this happened only once in the history of Washington's legislature. But this is pretty extreme. I think yes. even most Republicans would want to be on board with saying you really shouldn't plot again to shoot FBI agents and federal agents. And I think ATF was involved in the Bundy Ranch too, right? I don't know. I don't know anymore. Everything's on its head, right? Yeah. Everything's flipped around. So Rachel Maddow has all these FBI agents and prosecutors <laughs> on, and they're our yeah, buddies they're now. The good guys. And yeah. then the conservatives are like, I hate prosecutors and I hate the FBI. And I'm like, what world do I live in? Um, mm-hmm. It's really interesting. And, and I think a thing that people who aren't from the Pacific Northwest don't remember or maybe don't know is that. Oregon and Washington are hotbeds of um, white supremacy. White supremacy and like oath keeper types. And so Oregon was originally made a state that disallowed black people from living there. Mm-hmm. It was going to be the white state, Oregon. Right. People think of Portland and Portlandia and like the white hipsters and the coffee shops and whatever. But the outside of Portland is sort of like Texas gone awry. Well, even in Portland, um, even in lots of Portland. For sure, but especially when you get into the more rural parts of Oregon, of which yeah. there are a lot. Yeah. I, I spent many, 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 many summers in my youth 
in a rural part of um, southern Oregon, and it's incredibly white and incredibly conservative, and um, so like the majority of the population exists in the city centers. And there's a great distrust of government, right? They, yes. Like, they want to run themselves and fuck the government. Yes, and, and Washington is very much the same. I mm-hmm. mean, rural parts of Washington are very like independent and um, fuck the government and militias and... Um, you know, there's Seattle and Tacoma, and then there's every other part of Washington State, and yeah. it's it's a thing people don't really get. Um, it's sort of like Colorado, except that it's even more segregated in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but the fact that like Oregon was originally like literally a white state where like you're not allowed to be black and live here, mm-hmm. and they drove black people out of the state um, mm-hmm. back in the day, um, <clears throat> is a thing people don't remember about Oregon. Yeah. Um, Additionally, the Patriot Movement, like, holy shit, it's a whole thing. And I learned a lot about it from the podcast that I mentioned earlier, Bundyville. Um, Insofar as in Washington State, there is a city that is specifically um, sort of self-identified in exactly the way that he talks about this theocracy, right? Like, they made this city, it's a Christian covenant, Mm -hmm. is what they call it. And to live there, you have to abide by all of these principles and all of these like different laws that are specific to the Bible. And um, it's basically a cult. Mm-hmm. And if you don't abide by this couple that started it, I think their last name is Belle, um, then you get sort of excommunicated like you would from a church. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so the fact that like he's from Washington does not surprise me. The fact that he's a state legislator is sort of terrifying. And, you know, for all the pundits who want to talk about Antifa or whatever, right, as Mm -hmm. being, like, anti-government and whatever, like, (laughs) y'all, go get your people. (laughs) Because, like, there's a much larger and more organized and more armed and militant force on the right than there is on the left. Absolutely. Yeah, you all got the guns. Yep. The guns and the ideology and, and the sort of backing of this, like, faith um, that that's sort of terrifying. I think for most of the balaclava donning <laughs> Molotov cocktail umbrella people mm-hmm. who go and, and fight against the state on the left, um, it's a reaction and it's a, um, it's a, to sort of protect marginalized people and to make a statement about white supremacy Mm -hmm. and on the right it's a whole other thing it's very organized it's very um tight-knit and it has this faith-based principle to it that really does remind me of sort of islamist extremism um in the middle east and in that like if you think that god is calling you to do something you're going to do it. You're going to do it regardless of what laws say or mm-hmm. what harm can be caused because it, you believe literally that like God is backing you on this. And that's yeah. where it gets really dangerous for me. Okay. What else we got, Rach? What do you want to talk about? All right. So I want to talk about this story. Um, it's a six-part series from the Kansas City Star. Mm-hmm. And they did this uh, year-long investigation into foster kids and how are they doing what are we doing Mm -hmm. 
and how does it go? And I'm going to read this article, and then when Molly gets back from Canada, she's going to come on, and we're going to do a, a, probably an entire uh, an entire podcast about the state of foster kids. Okay. Um, based on this series because it's really good, and they did like some really really good research. And okay. Um, but I just I feel compelled to talk about this first because I I just am so sort of like shocked by what this article says. So I'm going to read it and then we're going to talk about it. Okay. He still has the last name of a woman who adopted him in grade school, then gave him back. From the time he was three until he turned 14, Dominic Williamson was bounced to 80 different foster homes. (laughs) That's insane. When he turned 18, he found himself alone and homeless and resorting to a life of crime. Mm -hmm. Now at 20, he has a more permanent home than he's ever known. The Hutchinson Correctional Facility in Kansas. Mm Mm-hmm. Quote, I had plans for the future and I kind of ruined it, he said from prison, where he's one year into an eight-year sentence. But how could I be a good kid with all the horrible things happening? In the American foster care narrative, prison is where the story leads for many kids like Williamson. For the past year, the Kansas City Star has examined what happens to kids who age out of foster care and found that by nearly every measure, states are failing in their role as parents to America's most vulnerable children. Roughly 23,000 kids across the country are churned out of the system every year, and their lives highlight a distinct path traveled by many. Taken from an unstable home, terrified by their first contact with the state, emotionally and cognitively damaged in care as they are moved from home to home, robbed of an education equal to their peers, turned out to the streets unprepared to stand on their own and changed for life. Quote, we are sending more foster kids to prison than college, mm. said Brett Kent, who spent the last three and a half years helping Indiana foster children transition into adulthood. And what do we lose as a result? Generations of young people. Mm-hmm. I think as a society, we view foster children the same way we might view offenders coming out of prison or addicts in recovery. We forget that they are just children, that they were put in foster care and removed from their families through no fault of their own. As part of its investigation, the STAR surveyed nearly 6,000 inmates in 12 states, representing every region of the country, to determine how many had been in foster care and what effect it had on their lives. Of the inmates who took the survey, one in four said that they were a product of foster care. Some spent the majority of their childhood in strangers' homes, racking up more placements than birthdays. The STARS survey results make it, quote, clear that the fumbling foster care has dire consequences, mm-hmm. said Kevin Smith, a district judge who handles family court cases in Wichita, Kansas. So many of society's problems are directly linked to foster care outcomes. It's shocking. From Texas's death row to its south-central Missouri prison and communities nationwide, the STAR found people numbed by their experiences and battling to overcome the trauma inflicted not only in their biological homes, but also by the states that later raised them. The investigation found, this is going to fucking blow your mind. Most states spend a fraction of their budget dollars on family preservation efforts, even though more kids are removed for neglect than abuse. Something something family values. Most of the $30 billion spent on child welfare annually is funneled into foster care or adoption services. Private ones. Despite a 40-year-old federal mandate that prioritizes family preservation. Mm Mm-hmm. More dollars are spent on investigating families than trying to keep them together. Emerging science suggests multiple foster care placements can actually harm a child's brain. Some kids are moved dozens of times, a few as many as 100 times over several years. Get this. 
foster children are diagnosed with PTSD at a greater rate than Iraq war veterans. Mm. Foster children are failed in the classroom, the least successful of, quote, special population groups in high schools, including homeless students and those with disabilities. In Oregon alone, just 35% of foster kids earned a high school diploma compared to more than 77% of their peers. As for college, fewer than 3% across the country will get a bachelor's degree. More than 4,000 former foster care kids every year end up homeless after leaving the system. A conveyor belt that deposits some into sex trafficking and drug addiction. I'm going to just rephrase that and say sex work. Mm -hmm. Within four years of aging out, the homeless number doubles in some parts of the country. One center for homeless youth in Indiana reported that nearly 70% of the young people it has served so far this year had spent time in foster care, a 36% increase over the prior year. Mm. Completing the cycle, many come back into the state's care as adults, this time as inmates. Said one convicted murderer from Texas death row, quote, the state neglected me as a kid and allowed me to age out of its support and is the same state that wants to kill me. Yep. The dysfunction of America's foster care system goes back decades, but the situation has become more dire in recent years, the Star found. More states are under fire and facing lawsuits for how they treat foster children as the number of kids in, in their care has grown. In 2017, 443,000 U.S. children were in foster care. A 12% increase from 2012. That's insane. Half a million kids are not with their families. Several states, including Indiana and West Virginia, have seen significant surges, some blaming the result of adult opioid addiction. The rate of kids in Kentucky foster care has hit an all-time high, according to a report released last month. This has created a shortage of suitable foster homes. Forgotten and cast aside is the way Julian Castro describes foster kids. Quote, right now, the foster care system across the United States is in very sad shape. There are a lot of things in this country that we just don't accept. We shouldn't accept this, and we have it within our power to change it. These children have essentially never had a first chance in life, he said, noting that their outcomes are so, so bad compared to their peers. It cries out for urgent attention and resources. Mm-hmm. It goes on. But I, these things are shocking. So the other thing I wanted to point out was <clears throat> when the Kansas City Star reached out to all 50 states, the reason they only have 12 states that have participated in their survey Mm-hmm. is because 38 states declined to allow inmates in their prisons to be interviewed for this project. Sure, yeah. The thing that also stuck out to me was this idea that we do sort of think of foster kids the way that we think of ex-cons, right? As yeah. throwaway people, as I mean, people that like, oh, they're damaged, they're bad. And it's like, no, these are children who were removed from their home mm-hmm. because of severe neglect or abuse. Right. These are the most vulnerable among us. These are the people, these are the kids, these are literally children who had no chance. They didn't have a life. We did this supposedly for their benefit, right? We mm-hmm. took them from their families so that we could help them they, because their a lot families of them were bad. Had already experienced trauma before, Correct. obviously, Correct. and never got the correct treatment yes. or support or resources. And I think Molly will tell you when she comes and talks to me about this that family preservation is something that's really important. Because I was watching this interview with one of these women who's currently incarcerated, and she was saying, you know, 
there's no funding for family preservation. Mm -hmm. There's funding for investigations, there's funding for adoption, there's funding for foster care, but there's no funding for like, if my mom had just been able to like, buy a car and have a house and not depend on an abusive man, I could have stayed with her. Yeah. And instead I went to this stranger's house and it smells weird and I don't know if I'm safe taking a shower there and right. none of my stuff is there and I'm staying with strangers and I'm nine. Well, that's the angle I want to like, hear about is who, who, who determines who's a foster family? How does one become a foster family or a foster home? Right. You apply for it. And, you and it's supposed to be a, a robust process, but mm -hmm. there's so many people who've been in foster families that endure so much abuse. Yeah both sexual, physical, emotional abuse. Um, and I don't think all foster families are bad. I, don't, I think a lot of people go into it with really good intentions, but they're definitely like the state pays you money f for yeah. every foster kid. Yeah. And so some people... Some people look at it as a, a, a money-making, yeah. Yeah. And have and, a house and full of foster kids that they completely They don't neglect. care about, yeah. yeah. And you're taking them out of a situation where someone loves them and knows them that's neglecting them, putting so them with cases, a stranger. Yeah. Who doesn't know them or love them and neglects them? I don't think that the latter is better. Yeah. Um, but it's really shocking, right? Like the idea that it really isn't. And why does this happen? Because there's a financial incentive, probably, for you know some of these group homes and these organizations who investigate, and then there's kickbacks, and you know it's capitalism 101. And we're just thinking about the kids. Yeah. Right. But there's also no follow up. So a couple of states who have are, are sort of becoming the like you know, the model for what we should be doing mm -hmm. have started investing in um, follow-up. So, like, let's follow foster kids yeah, a year that. after 18, two years, five years, ten years. What happens to them? Mm -hmm. And this idea of aging out, too, some states, California being the first one, um, is making aging out at 23 instead of 18, and so that they can sort of stay with their families past, you're still a teenager. And we just go like, well... We don't get money for you anymore, so buy. I don't... <laughs> yeah. And teenage foster kids especially, like, it's already hard to be a teenager and then to yeah. be bounced around. How can you trust anybody? And then if you've been abused by people, like, this is a serious thing. And I think that that judge is right, that, like, a lot of our societal problems could be fixed if we fix the foster care system. Mm -hmm. If one in four inmates was in foster care... Yeah, what does you that know? tell you? Right? What does that tell you? But, that you know, who's going to fill all those for-profit prisons? Right. What well, is the incentive to help kids? So that's an important story, and we're going to come back to that. We will keep an eye yeah, on Yeah, so it's see. a six-part series. I'm going to read all of it. Molly and I are going to do a download of it. She, as a uh, child social worker, mm -hmm. um, will give her many cents I'm sure <laughs> she's a very smart lady as you all know yeah so we got about 10 minutes left let's talk about impeachment yes so the house uh, passed art two articles of impeachment so technically Trump has been impeached although interestingly his lawyers are trying to say he hasn't been for some technical reasons one maybe being because they don't you can't call it impeachment until the articles of impeachment have been sent to the Senate officially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of just like some, a semantic argument. Um, and, and then at the same time, they're trying to say that they can't have McGahn. Like it's, it's 
to have McGann and Bolton and whoever else testify is now moot because he's been impeached. So they're, they're literally trying to make both legal yeah. arguments at the same time. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to the John Roberts opinion that like has both of those holds both of those things at the same time. Right. Um, cause he totally would do that. Yes. Um, anyway, there's some talk about why she hasn't released it to the Senate and, it, and it's, a, yeah, it's a political strategy. It's a political strategy and some mm-hmm. people were very up in arms about it. Mm-hmm. Not just conservatives like, oh, mm-hmm. why is she doing that? But now like now Trump is stewing a bit and McConnell is stewing and there's mm-hmm. some heat on them and mm-hmm. there's a spotlight on them. Mm-hmm. And oh, she knows okay. what she's doing. Yeah, she knows what she's doing. Just... She doesn't always get it right, but nope. she knows what he's doing. We, we talked about how she can send it there and they can just let it sit yeah. forever. We and never do anything about it. Yeah. We talked about how McConnell's a wily old dog who has new tricks up his sleeve and knows the game. Well, Pelosi does too. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as well, but you know, she's, I don't think she's a less savvy politician than Mitch McConnell. I just think she has more character and values. Well, and she's working on a side that cares about stuff. like She's that more principled more. than yeah, he is. That that's has it. more principle. And that's she a could, disadvantage. She could do things the way he does them, but I'd like her a lot less. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> we, I mean, we don't know. We've never seen that really on our no, side. No, because she's principled as a human being. Not since the days of, uh, well, I mean, Rahm Emanuel was a bit of that, but like he was never Speaker of the House. Right. Um, in any event, so We that's, figured we're a political podcast. We better talk about only the what, third president in history to be impeached. <laughs> right, right. So, you know. I mean, uh, Richard Nixon resigned in order to avoid this. So why is she going to send the articles of impeachment to the Senate when, when Mitch McConnell was telegraphing that, like, we're not going to hear any witnesses and we're going to just rush it through and acquit and it's over? Like, mm-hmm. why would she bother to do that? Right. So she's letting things... What she's waiting for? I don't know what her strategy is, but it's not... It's not play into McConnell's She's hands. deliberate, yeah. right? She's not a non-deliberate person. <laughs> Everything she does is planned out and, and has her, a purpose. has a reason and a mm-hmm. cause. And sometimes yeah. she's full of shit, but... You know, sometimes being full of shit is her deliberate action. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the plan is and I, I can't possibly speculate, but I don't doubt that she I know for sure that she has one. Right. Yes, absolutely. There's no question about it. So for just as a recap, right, there's been some questions that I've been seeing floating around on Facebook and Twitter about like, what does it mean? Yeah. So think about it like a grand jury. Right. Mm-hmm. The House decides whether or not. There's probable cause to charge somebody with a crime. And once that happens, just like in a grand jury, a grand jury decides, here's all the evidence. Is there enough probable cause to charge this person with a crime? They decide yes. Then you go to jury trial. So the House is the grand jury. They decided there's enough evidence to charge someone with a crime. Mm -hmm. They charged him with a crime. The Senate is the trial. So the Senate, if they were doing the right thing, should call witnesses and provide a evidence and have you know both sides but, talk about things and have basically a trial but again you have the senate leader saying we're not going to have a real trial right that we're would not, be we're like, not gonna bother right that would be like yeah we, yeah we've made that analogy right before. that would be like the right and, I mean, the ho- and the hope is i think the hope is pelosi delays this enough it puts more pressure on some of the more quote reasonable republicans that they put pressure on mcconnell and say no we have to at least go through the motions and have a trial and I don't know that that's going to work, but it's better than just giving up. Yeah. I mean, I hope that's true, because if the Senate does go through the motions, quote, right, mm-hmm. they do have to, like... Call witnesses. Call witnesses and talk about and have somebody present the evidence. And it doesn't mean Trump will be removed, but it sure makes the Republican Senate look bad. Well, they do all that, right? Yeah. They provide all this evidence. They talk to all these people. 
And then the jurors in this case is the Senate. Yes. And they say, like, that's all fine with me and acquit him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's a choice you get to make, but you're going to live with it in 2020 elections. And everything's going to be on record. Yep. And everything's going to be on record and you're going to, it's going to be known that you heard all of this evidence mm-hmm. and you talked to all these witnesses mm-hmm. and you decided that, like, you're fine with that. Yes. And then we'll have an election. That's the idea. Yes. Like, Nancy Pelosi knows that the Senate is not going to all of a sudden turn around and impeach Trump. Right. I mean, remove no. Trump. He, no, he's not going to get removed. Mm-hmm. But the point is to make them go on record and say, I know all of these things. Right. I've talked to all of these people, and I'm fine with that behavior. Exactly. That illegal behavior is fine with me. Exactly. And then we have an election. Yeah. Exactly. So she's trying to force their hand right. to make them do that. That's right. that's the goal. I don't know what the and we strategy is to make them do it, but that's the goal. We don't know if that's going to work, but we do know, we know this from polling and public opinion, that like Americans want a trial mm-hmm. by like 70% to 25. Right. Like If he's innocent, great. Mm-hmm. Right? Put it up. Put up the evidence that he didn't do this, that mm-hmm. he's admitted he did. Right. Like, yeah. let, let's have a trial and let's if you are so convinced that this is a sham witch hunt and that he's absolutely innocent of all of these charges, then let's go to trial. That's what good defense attorneys do. If your client is innocent and there's tons of evidence to suggest that that's true, go to trial. And again, you know, uh, we're, we are we barely remember the, the Clinton impeachment, mm-hmm. but I remember enough of it to mm-hmm. know, like everybody played the part and went through the motions. Yep. Of course, Democrats felt in, indebted for the most part to play along and say, oh, this is really serious. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know? And then after, you know, like when they weren't on the floor, they'd go to the, the media and say, like, this is fucking stupid. And like, mm-hmm. he lied about a blowjob and like, are we really doing this? Some we of have, them did. Some we of have them, better things to do than yeah. that. But like, that's fine. But they didn't do that on the floor. Right. No, they, they took, took it, it very, very seriously. seriously. And then you go and you do spin later. But they did the thing. That they're supposed to and do that's, on that's the floor. That's important to understand the difference. Right now, Republicans mm-hmm. don't want to even pretend. No. They don't want to go through the motions. No. They don't want to even pretend. Nope. And like, that's their strategy. It's like, we have so much contempt for this whole thing, we're not even going to play along. It's like, okay, but the Constitution says you have to. It's your and, literal constitutional duty to do so. Right. And eventually, some of this, if not all of it, is going to go to the Supreme Court. And then the mm-hmm. Supreme Court is going to decide whether the Constitution is valid anymore, basically. Right. I mean, that's where we are. Right. If, if the Republican-controlled Senate refuses to play ball, the Supreme Court's going to have to step in and say, you're literally mandated to do this. Yeah. Like, you don't have a choice. You don't just get to say no. I mean, yeah, no. I, this is where <laughs> there's some gray area in that, like, <sighs> Mitch McConnell sort of could sort of rewrite the rules of how impeachment is conducted in the Senate, like, because he can he can call whatever he wants to a trial to look like. He can, I mean, sure, it's absolutely. It's yeah. the same thing as any right criminal defense case. Mm-hmm. You can do whatever you want as the defense attorney. Like, you don't have to call your client, right? You have <laughs> yeah. a right to not self-incriminate, so you don't have to call your client. If you're a good lawyer, you don't call your client ever. Um, and judges have a lot of leeway too mm-hmm. right like yeah. it can be conducted in a lot of different ways the thing that is the most sort of strictly um there there are more rules about is like what the prosecution can do right, right. like they mm-hmm. have to provide all the evidence they have to provide everything that they know which is what 
the House basically just did. They just handed the Senate, here's all the discovery, here's everything that we know, <laughs> here's everything he did, here's all the witnesses we called, here's all the yeah. evidence to prove that there is probable cause to charge this person. Go forth and use it. In the real world, of course, a lot of prosecutors don't share all no, the evidence. No, Brady violations everywhere. And then judges are like, eh, it's fine, whatever. And then we appeal and we win. And then we win on appeal, yeah. yeah it's but complicated, I, but anyway, <laughs> that's not how it's supposed it's to work. It's not how it's supposed to work. No. So we don't know what's going to happen, because this is uncharted territory. There have yeah. only been three impeachments in history, and it's a new world with new rules, and we don't know. I have no idea. I don't, I don't even have speculation. I, don't, I really don't. I'm not sure if McConnell knows. I'm sure he has a plan, but, you know, like... I think he has, like an ideal situation like a dream situation and then like the current situation and he's trying to make those two align in some way and I don't think it's going to go that way the the lunatics in the house on the Republican (sighs) side probably really actually believe that like you know 80% of the American public is actually on Trump's side and all the polls are fake news Mm -hmm. and some of the Republicans do and Lindsey Graham is completely sold a soul but there's got to be a few Republican uh, senators who understand like Right. We're going to we're we're dying on the hill for a really unpopular president. Yeah. Like is yeah. is this really what we want to do? Is this what I want my legacy to be? Well, is this what I want to have on my around my neck going into 2020? Like I mean not maybe so much Cory Gardner because he knows he's finished and he's yeah. ready to sign that big seven-figure think tank, mm-hmm. you know, deal or whatever. Yep, totally. Um but like some of these other cats like they got to think like I don't know if this is the best move, or maybe they're right. they're they're in so deep in the bubble and so deluded they they don't care and they are gonna go to the wall with this. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I think a lot. I mean, I think a lot of them, especially that those who've been there for a long time, um, have to look at their legacy though and have to be like in a history book, right? Like this is all gonna come to an end at some point. Donald mm-hmm. Trump's not gonna become the dictator of America, right? right? Like, and we weren't gonna, it's burn gonna all come the books to an and, end at some point, and he's not gonna come. Right. Kim Jong-un. I mean, I don't know if we're going to have an actual, like, functioning democracy after this is over, but we'll see. If we do, the history books are not going to reflect kindly on people who went the wrong way on this. Mm -hmm. And what do you, you want to be in the history books for that? Right? Yeah. Like, is that what you want? And I think I wanted this Supreme Court justice, and I wanted these specific laws passed, and I wanted the tax bill, and I wanted those things, so I was okay with Trump, but, like, he's just been impeached, so... That's a thing that's going to go down in history forever, and which side are you on? And that's a thing I think people got to be looking at. Mm-hmm. You know? They got their judges. They got their tax bill. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be really interesting how it plays out here yeah. in the next weeks and months. And yeah. we will be here to unpack it for you. Yes. Along with other stuff. So, all right. That's going to do it for this week. Uh, stay tuned for a very special movie commentary track. If you like. That has nothing yes. to do with politics. No. This is a Christmas movie commentary track. And then we'll also tell you what we think about Star Wars. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. All and right. So, take. Merry Christmas. Right. Happy Merry Kwanzaa. Christmas, happy Kwanzaa, Hanukkah. Kwanzaa, all holidays, the things. All the things. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. Stay active. Stay tuned. Stay involved. Happy holidays. Adios. Adios.